All right. I'm excited about this episode of BeelerCast in part because I get to talk to someone who has been like a guiding force in my career for some time. And I don't want to delay. I don't want to talk anymore. I just want to get going on with the episode. Welcome to BeelerCast. So who am I talking to? career futurist Joanna Bloor, who was our keynote speaker for our very first base camp and absolutely killed, just did exactly what I was ever hoping for. And I just want to give you kind of the same intro I did in, in base camp because it's so, so true. When I and a lot of other people in our industry were talking about technology, you were talking about people well before... I, you know, other people start, I mean, I'm not even sure that many other people do it other than you and myself. Like to me, I'm more interested in the people of ad tech than the ad tech itself at times. Right. And I think that that's something that, uh, you kind of guided me toward just focusing on that particular part. So Joanna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And thank you for such a lovely introduction. You're, you surprised me when we were, uh, at the conference cause I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about it that way. I hadn't realized that that's what I was known for saying way back in the dark ages of early days. <laughs> well, everyone's street cred was based on like, uh, oh, you should have seen what I was able to do with the ad server or whatever. And you're like, maybe we should structure our teams in ways that we operate. And you're just like, <laughs> what is she talking? Like, and, you know, that's actually one of the things I think maybe changing. Um, but I know for me, my first job in management you know, was just be, being really the best trafficker, right? Like I kind of just, boom, got kind of put into that particular position. Didn't get the mentoring I probably needed. Didn't get all that kind of stuff. Made a lot of mistakes. But what I did figure out right off the bat is it's a, it's the team around you, right? You can't get anything off your plate. You can't automate or delegate if you don't have a good good team. So how to assemble that is, I think, an important thing. Which brings me to one of the things we we, it's so funny. I, I think about Basecamp and I think where the conversation went isn't necessarily where you and I thought because we were going to spend a lot more time on like Star Trek, right? Yeah. And so that's why we do the podcast because we can try and be focused. You have such a great um, way of connecting things to the Star Trek universe and, and the hiring of the Federation, if you will, for those that, you know, Trekkies. Can you talk a little bit about why you relate anything of this, of what we're talking about with people to Star Trek, which is obviously sci-fi. Yeah. Well, uh, well, so, and I kind of teased this a little bit when we were announcing this show, I'm obsessed with this idea of, well, as you mentioned, I'm obsessed with people and how they, how do they make things happen? And particularly, which is why I was in ad tech and everything, but particularly in the space of, um, change, emerging technology, building things that haven't been built before, um, fundamentally living out on the skinny branches of the tree of innovation, right? Um, it's why I got into technology to begin with, because I was like, oh, this is really super cool and super interesting. And um, the the people part of living out on the skinny branches means you have to think, you, you have to think about all of this sort of stuff. And as I have become more obsessed about this idea. And I say, like, I can't, I can't get enough information about this. Literally was listening to a podcast this morning who 
and this is going to be talking about Star Trek, but I think it gives you an idea of how my brain just goes, oh, this is really interesting. The word priority was a singular word up until the Industrial Revolution, and then it became a a duplicate word. Like the word priorities didn't exist in natural language until the Industrial Revolution. And they were like, how can a priority, like multiple priorities, exist? And like that sort of framing around how do we think and how do we communicate as people has been my obsession forever. And I'm always looking for models because what I learned, you know, I am like my first <clears throat> technically dot-com company was 1995, uh, where we're, I was literally carrying a bag selling websites to small to medium-sized businesses um, for a little company called City Search, for those of you who remember them. <laughs> they are no more, no longer, sadly. But I remember going out and having to explain this product that you couldn't touch, you couldn't feel, that people didn't understand, that there was a whole new language that people were like, what are you talking about? Um, and that's really where my obsession around how do you help people understand a thing that doesn't exist? And how do you create a model that people are like, oh, oh, you mean that? Because if they couldn't see it, they couldn't imagine it. And so now I'm going to give you your first model before I get into Star Trek, just because this, this is a really helpful one for the technical folks to talk to non-technical folks. So as an example, um, if I asked you to draw a circle on a piece of paper, and then asked you to draw a circle inside that circle. And then I said, okay, I want you to take the inner circle out of the inside and make it outside on a piece of paper. You'd look at me and I'd say, you can't break the outer circle. You'd be like, well, you can't actually do that because it's a two-dimensional plane. If those two circles became three-dimensional, you'd be like, oh, easy peasy. I can pick up the inner circle and like it comes out in the three dimensions. You're like, I can totally see that. Now, if those two circles, and for those of you that are listening, you need to kind of uh, lock your fingers into a circle. If you think about those two circles as a chain, mathematically, in four dimensions, you can actually lift one circle out of the other circle. In three dimensions, you can't. Now, I can't imagine, see, in any way, shape, or form what four dimensions looks like. Because we have never seen it as human beings, we but mathematically exists. So I believe mathematically that exists, but I can't see it with my own head. And so I'm like, okay, how do you lift it out? Which is why I start with two dimensions to three dimensions before you go from three to four. God, I sound like a super dork when I talk about <laughs> Because I think this is really important because when you're trying to explain something in the future that doesn't exist, you have to have something that people are like, oh, I see how that works and this is how this works, which is why the Star Trek thing came up because it started with me where I was like, boy, there isn't a human being alive that I know that thinks resumes are awesome, that job descriptions are awesome, that performance reviews are awesome, that the hiring process isn't a complete and utter nightmare, that people don't feel like widgets in it. Um, the mathematics of the whole hiring process has gone completely and utterly bananas. Like from the the hiring side, um, you'll have recruiters talk about the cost of application. And what they mean by that is the cost for an individual to apply for a job has gone down to practically nothing because you can hit the easy apply, right. you can do what they call the spray and pray with your resume, all sorts of things. 
which now means I think the last time I saw data on this, uh, 2017, a little over 17.5 billion resumes was submitted in the United States of America, right? Like ridiculous math. And you also then turn around and say, like, how many jobs does somebody have to apply to to get a job? And it's somewhere around two to 300 now, which I don't know about you, but I'd find that incredibly demoralizing. Um, and I'd feel a bit like a machine. And so I was looking at all of this and I was like, oh, God, who's got a model of doing this right? And I am both a Star Trek and a Star Wars fan. I don't, I don't go in either, but um, I am, I am a Trekkie at the end of the day. I think the whole, um, the whole storyline is interesting because the entire narrative is living on the skinny branches of exploration and technology and all of this sort of stuff. So you can see it speaks to me in all of this. And even if you go back to like, let's actually, I was like, how, how did they hire, like, how did you get to be on the bridge of even like 1960s Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how, how does this exist? How does that work? And um, I particularly got obsessed by the two characters that I thought were really fundamentally different as human beings. And that was Lieutenant Uhura. And uh, I can't remember what Spock's title was. Does anyone, do you know what Spock's title was? Spock. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm trying to think, is it, was it, um, I do not. I do not. Oh, that, that, see, now that is interesting in itself. Like Spock was like the share right. of right. space world, right? He didn't even need a title, which is a whole different other conversation. Sure. We could, well, we could go down that thread. But I sat there and I looked at it and I said, you know, of the characters on there, before you got to Next Generation Star Trek, where they started hiring Betazoids, go look that up, folks, and you'll understand why this is important in their hiring practice. But... Um, I kind of put myself in the headspace of the recruiter for the original Enterprise for just a second. And I want to paint a picture for you for just a second, a bit like my circles. Like if you imagine for a second what was happening with the recruiting team for the Star, Star Trek Enterprise, the original one, um, because this is a true story, right? <laughs> what was happening is they were going, okay, we have literally the coolest job on the planet, um, or on the in the planetary system, actually. So not only was it humans, but it was all of the other characters out there. So we have literally the coolest job ever. And absolutely everybody wants to apply. Like people are just like, I will take a job. I don't even, I, I will right. scrub floors if I have to, right? It's that sort of like, this is the coolest of the cool job. So you can, you've got your pick from everybody. And then you say, okay, so for whatever reason, um, Captain Kirk, the captain of the ship, has already been chosen. But the next job you have to hire for is for the translator for the ship. Because it doesn't, like, he needs all of the different characters, but if he can't actually talk to the people where they're going to different planets to explore new things, et cetera, et cetera, he's going to have a bit of a problem. So he needs a translator. Um, so let's look at... What is the job that needs to be done for the translator? Their job is you need to speak a bunch of languages. You understand how to use technology. You're a good team player. Like if you think about what does the job description say, um, it's it's a translator that would be a, a translator for day. Um, so now if you take that job through what is today's hiring practice, which if you think about the decision path for why do you hire person X, doesn't matter who that person is. The first thing you look at is what are the keywords on their resume? Is it gonna get through the applicant tracking system? 
where did they go to school? What grades do they get? Like, do they have any special certificates and badges? And I thought, wow, um, if you look at Ohura and Spock and think about, like, imagine for a second what their resume would look like. Spock went to the right schools, uh, knows the right people, um, got a freaking A plus in everything. <laughs> Super logical, um, like all of the things. And I, I don't know what Ohura's uh, resume looks like, but I'm taking a wild guess that it was not quite as, if you think about today's word, super as super fantastic as Spock's. Now, yes, did Spock get another job, but I want you to still think about this translator job because remember, everyone's like, I will do anything to be part of this team. And you look at that and you say, if the decision-making process went through the current model of applicant tracking system, recruiter, who is the most qualified based on past data, um, Spock would have gotten the job, absolutely no question, because he ticked all of the boxes. And this actually has nothing to do with his gender, or in this case, because he wasn't actually completely human, his race either. This had all to do with like his past data. But then I sit here and go, okay, so what is actually the job to be done? What do you need the role to do in the future? And it, the future role is actually... Um, figuring out what the language might be. So let's actually pretend we're now in space, in the future, we've come to a planet. Um, I am taking a wild guess that Google Translate works a little better in the year 2336. <laughs> it's gone through some improvements. So it has, it can do a lot of AI things where it can say, oh, if they say, uh, and er, and like, let's pretend like Dothraki or something, it could actually translate the language. But in reality, if they're going to a place where no one's gone before, nobody actually has the data around the language. So it doesn't matter if you can speak 50,000 languages. It matters, can you infer mm -hmm how 50,000 languages um, are going to translate. And what you're actually trying to find out in this language is when they say hello, are they saying hello in a really nice, warm and fuzzy way? Or are they saying hello? In other words, we might shoot you out of the sky. Um, understanding tone tenor in just the hello, who are you sentence is critical to their survival which then means that actually the translator's job is to be able to hear empathy and hear meaning, right? right. It's not right. to be able to speak a bunch of languages. And I, I pull all of that apart and I go, well, then, okay, not only is Spock not the right person for the job, but he's spectacularly not qualified for the job because he was part Vulcan and like, I'm sorry, but the empathy button didn't get pressed with Vulcans. <laughs> they have other, other skills, other things. And, you know, the job he did get, which was being a foil to uh, Captain Kirk with, I, I think was perfect. Um, but you think about who is the most empathetic person um, on the team. And it was Lieutenant Hurura. And I tease this a little bit. If you look at future versions of Star Trek, they then had Leanna Troy, who was a mind reader, right. and they kind of upped the ante on empathy because the every uh, every Starfleet captain by that point understood they needed somebody who could actually tap into the heart as much as the head. Um, which is why I come back and say what doesn't work 
and what is fundamentally missing about how, in essence, we buy and sell potential. And what I mean by buy and sell potential, that is the thing that we are bringing into our organizations. Like if you are a hiring manager, you are selling an opportunity to somebody else to buy their time. And if you are a candidate, you are trying to buy an opportunity and selling your time. And in that transaction, and it is a transaction, the thing that is fundamentally important is not just what you've done in the past, but actually what is it you want people to do in the future? And I look at today's framework and the job descriptions and resumes are completely backwards looking and not at all forwards looking. And if you think about when any time the hiring process has gone a bit sideways or things haven't worked out, it's always because the, the expectation around the future is not there. And it's we don't have a framework for that. We don't have a language for that. And if you've heard me speak at all, you'll know that I am known for the um, every decision made about you is made in a room that you're not in statement. And I sit here and I say, because what's happening in that room, and if if they are talking about you, they are talking about your potential in the future um, based on a story they are making up in their head based on their experiences with you. And so I come back and I say, like, from both both sides of the equation, you need to make sure that people understand that the stories are the same thing and, and get clear about them and that um, being intentional about how you talk about the future as an individual or as an organization is critically important. Yeah. That's why so, I'm upset about Star Trek. Long story, but that's... Uh, no, but I love it. And there's there's yeah. a lot of little pieces unpacking. <laughs> well, no, but there's a, there's a part of it um, almost as a, as a tangent, but there was a you hit on that word translator. And one of the things that's come up in a number of the the, you know, the Beeler tech calls that we've had has been a role of someone in the company who actually kind of plays translator, right? Because if we, any organization, you say, you know, the CEO comes down and says, we are a data-driven company, right? And everyone's like, oh, great. We don't make decisions just based off guesses. We're going to do it off data. And uh -huh. every department head is going to go running off into a different direction yep. and do something completely different. Right, because yeah. that that is that is what that is, and so at least one one organization has actually created someone whose job is to not just collect the KPIs, but actually understand those KPIs and explain it to the others. Right, and so you and you hit on that part in a in a space where not try to be that pun should have been set up and I didn't set it up well. Um, in space, uh, in in our industry, right where. You're not exactly sure what's going to happen a couple of years from now. There's a lot of things that are going on. Hiring for what someone was able to do in the past is not what you're looking for. You're looking for someone who's going to be able to, to again, find that there's a new language. Learn it. Like, so in other words, I don't need someone who knows 50,000 languages. I need someone who's going to be able to learn a language, like you said, right on the spot. And that's something to start to interview for. And again, if you're out looking for a job, starting to create that as your narrative. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, and, and is that something that, uh, and again, because I know that you work with both leaders and you work with individuals, right? In terms yep. of helping them start to reframe these types of things. Um, let's start with, with the individuals, right? Like, so I heard what you said. Cool. You know, um, I'm still probably going to hit the easy button and send my resume out to a, a few thousand things. Um, 
mean, I guess I, I guess there was always a hope and aspiration. You get to a point in your career where you stop doing that. But let's just, you know, my son's about to, you know, he's got a, he's about to head off to school for his last year. When he comes out, he is probably going to do a little bit, bit of spray and, you know, pray, right? Yeah. And I have my advice for him, but I'd love to hear your advice for someone in that position of going like, yep, I'm a part of the machine, a, a yeah. broken machine. Like, in other words, I heard it what you said. Broken, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a flawed machine. Um, oh, I have so, like, there could be a whole other episode on the advice <laughs> I would give your son. Um, so first of all, I think the acknowledgement that um, while I am working really hard to reinvent the machine, although it shouldn't even be a machine, really hard with companies to reinvent how they do this. Um, the reality is, is that this is the process. Um, so one, what I recommend to everybody, and when we talk through this, when I talk through this with individuals, um, we actually go through the concept of your personal sales funnel. And because for your, and let's use your son as an example, like he is selling the potential as his future time. He doesn't currently have a bunch of features. Well, he mm -hmm. might, I don't know, right? But my guess is if he's coming straight out of school, he doesn't have a ton of features um, to say, oh, I've got the experience and all this, but he's selling the potential of his future time. So really think about in a sales funnel, like um, how do you make sure at the top of funnel um, that you are getting as much exposure as possible. And for him specifically, I'm guessing he's all like, well, I have kind of an idea what I want to do, but I'm not really sure what I want to do, which is particularly hard, especially when you are younger and earlier in your career, because like any product, the more I can do anything for everybody, the less unique your product is and the harder it is to sell. This is the like the more expensive and unique a product is, the easier it is to sell. It's why um, Hermes is an example. Um, you have to be invited to buy a purse, which I just say, like, that makes my head explode. I will never <laughs> get in it. not how rich I am. I'm still like, you cannot invite me to buy a purse. Um, and so when you're early in your career, that I can be everything for everybody is actually really tough. So really understanding like how can you make your customer set as narrow as possible. Can I, um, can I interject on that just real quick? I'm sorry, sure. just to throw, throw you off um, your flow, but there's a, it, it's interesting because I just literally had a conversation with someone who is looking for a CEO position. Hmm. Okay. And they have kind of taken a scattershot approach and, and oh, they kind of came no. to me, they kind of came to me and were like, I'm just feeling like I'm not getting, that idea. response, right? And well, and again, there's a piece of that of like I told them that again, like you've you've had your influence on me, Joanna. So I I play Joanna <laughs> right. Light when I have to in the spot or what. I, but there was a part of it of like I, I actually made they were talking about like speaking at events and whatever, and they're like I always offer and like then no one ever takes me up on it. I feel like I have, a, and I'm like, and the analogy I used is like when someone's in mourning, right? Someone someone's had a death in the family, and you say, "Is there anything I can do for you?" And what you've just done is you've just transferred the action onto that person to now come out somehow help you, right? So you should come either with a thing or a thought that doesn't add to their level, right? So there's a part of it like going like, you know, dude, what's your what's your narrative? What's your story? You're not you're putting 
on me. Well, it's the all work. the work on somebody else. Right. Yeah. So, well, so that comes down to the, like, once you get through the application, and for your CEO friend and for your son, and both right. ends of the spectrum. That's why I wanted to Although, well, are you with your CEO friend, OMFG, like. Yeah, yep, yep. They're actually making it harder for themselves by doing this brain prey methodology. But I come back and say, like, as you're thinking about your sales funnel, um, the most uh, powerful thing that anybody has is relationship capital. Because the way to hack out of the spray and pray is through somebody making an introduction. And you are absolutely right. The current methodology that everybody's been taught to do is, here's a copy of my resume. Can you forward it to people? This is the non-morbid version of the funeral scenario. <laughs> can you can you do all that? And you've just put the onus on the other person, whoever they might be, on actually articulating your potential. And so um, what I say to people in that is, when you are asking somebody in your network, um, and this is why I say, think about your sales funnel, because uh, I, I literally say like, you need to like cold calling, do this a bunch of times because not every single time you ask, is it gonna hit? And you come in and the, the template I give people is I say, look, you introduce, you say, you say like, so let's say for instance, um, Rob, I was asking you, to introduce me to somebody to hire me because I have lost my mind and decided to get back into ad tech. <laughs> and I am fantastic, right? I talk I you out of it. The, I have, no, you got I'm, out, stay out. <laughs> I get calls periodically. I'm still like, oh no, um, for all a bunch of awesome reasons. But I would come to you, Rob, and I say, hey, Rob, um, I've decided to lose my mind and I am packing in everything I've been doing and I've decided I want to step back into the ad tech world. And as the person who I think knows more people who might need somebody like me, I was hoping you could make some introductions. That's my little blurb at the beginning. B, this whole, um, I want to grab a coffee. I want like I want something from you so we can talk about, like, do not do any of that nonsense. Like, be clear about your ask up front. Then say, to make it easier for you to introduce me to people, I have created an email template below. Please feel free to edit this, but I hope this will make it easier for you. You'll notice I didn't say anything about a resume in there, right? Then below that, you say, you actually write the template in third person and you say, hey, and you let the person fill in the name. Um, I'd like to introduce you to my friend, Joanna. Um, she is looking for a new leadership role in an ad tech company. And I thought you might be interested in talking to her. The kind of problems that Joanna is great at solving are bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. These are problems that somebody might have in the future, they are not past-based problems. They are also not generic problems. Because if you say strategic problems, communication problems, and team building <laughs> problems, you are the same as everybody else. Just gonna put that out there and we can unpack that one next. So the kind of problems Joanna's great at solving are blank, blank, blank. Um, the kind of organization that gets the best from Joanna is blank, blank, and blank. And in that phraseology, and so in that section, I would put the um, one that likes to work out on the skinny branches of emerging technology, like take my language, because it's me. Um, one that uh, has a, is involved in entertainment and media, as an example. Um, one that is, uh, I can't think of anything else I would put on there, but those are the examples. And then you say the best way to reach out to Joanna is um, and you put my email address and you can learn more about Joanna here. 
there's a link to somebody's LinkedIn profile because the truth is, is everybody looks there first and mm-hmm. it's easier than a resume. Um, thanks again for your help, blah, blah, blah. And you sign off. That is written so that the recipient of the email goes, I have problems like that. Right. And that organization sounds like me. And they are inspired by, a, I basically taught them about a future story that they have, a, a future focused narrative that makes them go, ooh, I'm inspired to act in the future with this person. Now, do I still have to come back with all of the goods and all of the things and all of the stuff? Like there's a, a phrase in sales where we say we buy on emotion and justify on fact. The email is there for the emotional part of the conversation. You then show up with all of the facts. Now, it doesn't mean that if I should, like, let's pretend this whole sales funnel goes through and I actually get an interview, that I'm going to sit here and go, here are all my facts. In other words, regurgitate my resume to somebody. Because the reality is, and if you think about that sales funnel and how do you, how do you get to show up on day one of your dream job, which is actually, that's the close of the deal. You have to remember things like the last part of the decision-making process is your hiring manager might be the person saying, I want you, but they still need to tell their boss, probably somebody in finance, your new peers, your new direct reports, why you? And you want to make sure that A, you make it easy for them to explain why you, and yes, over everybody else, but why you, Um, but do that in a way that actually sets you up for success in the future. Because like, I also come back and say like, how many of us have gotten new bosses where we've gone, oh my God, who the heck is that person? And why did they choose them? And like, then it, it makes the whole person start off on the wrong foot. However, if you start out with this really strong why you, it makes the whole acceleration of a new new leader in an organization happen. So I come back to both your CEO friend and your, your, your son and say, like, figure out your sales funnel because it's not one size fit all. Right. Things like um, your past and your future matter. Um, what do you, what have you done? What do you want to do? Um, things like what potential objections might somebody have to you? And it's not, how have you failed? Why are you flawed? But like, what obstacles do you need to get over? Um, and they are again, very bespoke to who is buying, who is buying and selling you. And then how do you make it easy for them to say yes, as you, as you move along? Um, and I would also argue for those of the people on this call who were leaders who were like, Oh, this is really fascinating. I would really wish people would do this with me in the, like in the interview process. When I talk to companies about that, they're like, Oh my God, I wish people would talk like this in interviews. It's amazing. Like they get very <laughs> excited about it. And I'm like, Hey, 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 hang on a second. You understand you have to buy differently too. And, um, I was talking about this idea of the sales funnel with one of our mutual friends, uh, Rose Steinberg, who is a genius and knows all the things. And she's in the in the people economy of our space as well. And as we were talking about the bride process, she was like, well, what do you mean by the buy process? And I said, well, how many times as somebody who is trying to match talent with opportunities, do you run into a hiring team where like, let's just call them Bob, Fred and Alice, where Alice has one vision of who the person is. Bob has another vision of who the person is. And Fred has another vision of who the person is. And you're trying to find this, you know, purple squirrel parrot person 
who is who each person believes this future person needs to be. And how do you get everybody tied around, not just the, everybody gets agreement on what is the past criteria. There's often very different perspective around what is the future criteria and what is the problem to be solved. Or understanding that Bob, Fred, and Alice are going to be looking for different things so that um, as they come together at the end, they're not actually eliminating candidates because the candidate's not coming in with those multiple levels of perspective, which is why I say like it's it's the sales funnel is bi-directional and you have to think about buying and selling. Which, I mean, again, I think that there's a there's an aspect of that of, you know, one of the things I love about describing operations people, right, is they the one thing they know is they don't want to be salespeople, right? And they're not yep. technical enough to be technical. But the thing I would say is like, we're all in sales, whether it be because you just have to learn how to persuade people to your way of thinking, right? To just even that career progression. What is, what is you know, again, you have to have that kind of narrative of who you are. So like to me, what I was, you know, listening to with that, that funnel and thinking about my son, you know, I've already been saying to him, your resume is sparse, but each one of those, if you get asked by anything, you have to be able to come back with something that just draws a picture of who you are. And again, I was, you know, one thing I was going to add to your Star Trek piece that I'm wondering whether the recruiters thought about is, will these people get along in space on this long journey? Like I wouldn't, like you could hire the best people and just have a completely dysfunctional ship because everyone's really good at what they do. And but no one has any ability to be that team player that you need. And part of what you're putting out there, and again, maybe you, you tell me I, I'm, I'm maybe just thinking about, you know, things related to me. But like there is a part of it of going like you, you lead with, do you want to work with me? Is this something that you want? Yeah. And, and if you get that that vibe, you get that feel out there and, and like, oh, OK, you're more than someone who worked from this job to that job from that period of yeah. time. You've changed that to something where those three hiring people have to, again, go like that person versus yeah. all the other check boxes. Well, so I want to caution people here and use Star Trek again as a as a really great use case, because let's like. We're going to go backwards in time a little bit to the 1960s and think about like Gene Roddenberry was a genius, by the way. I'm just such a fan, as you can probably tell. But you think about like what was going on in the world. Like it was the Cold War. Um, I'm sorry, but they had a Russian flying the ship. <laughs> point that out. Um, the race wars were happening. We've already talked about Lieutenant Hoorah and how fantastic she was. Um, and if you think about the dynamic on the ship, um, certainly there were friendships across that team. And right. I mean, all of them, certainly there were friendships. Um, and there was absolutely culture, like the, um, Federation's purpose. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you think about purpose and culture and they are so intertwined was really, really, really clear, which was, you know, as you're going out and checking out these new, uh, planets don't mess them up basically <laughs> um, which was really important but you sit here and say like if you had put all of the people on the bridge of the 19 well any year of the star trek into a room and said like would all these people have a beer together my guess is probably no um the magic that made those teams work beautifully 
was actually the magic of trust with each other. And this is this is why when I, you know, we've had a long conversation about the whole sales funnel and the hiring process. Um, the reality is, and this is especially for the folks that are listening who are like, oh my God, Joanna, I don't want to be a salesperson. I'm really sorry, but you have been buying and selling time since you became a sentient being. And the only people that you do not figure out whether you want to opt into a future with them or not are your kids. Every other relationship is conditional in some way, shape or form. It doesn't mean it has to be icky. And actually the more authentic you are, like if you think about your best, best, best friend, you are super clear with who you are and who you are presenting to them. And you trust that they accept you just the way you are and vice versa. And you come back to the dynamic and that can be in the professional world as well as in the personal world. Like marriage is the same thing. Mm -hmm. The reason people divorce is they go, I, I no longer want to opt into a future with you because it makes me want to stick hot pokers in my eyeballs or whatever their example is. <laughs> but ultimately like marriage is, I opt into a future you with you for better or for worse. Sometimes not so much forever, right? But I come back to the bridge, to the bridge of the Star Trek, um, what was true about every single person on the team is they understood the role that they were playing and why they needed each other to be able to make the magic happen. They actually needed and trusted, which is why, like, um, I always thought it was really interesting that the uh, captain of whichever enterprise um, had a very, you have the bridge, you have the bridge, like the handing off of control was such a, like, I'm getting goosebumps about the right. message of trust that happens there. And it was because they all knew who people were and how they were going to be in the future. And so this whole concept of um, being really clear about what is it you are offering in the future and what is it you need in the future and how do you get clear about that is actually a core fundamental of trust and collaboration in a team. And I'm gonna give you another example only because I got nerded out by data again the other day. I was thinking about this around ideas. And I think about like, here's some data points. Um, if you, Rob Beeler, tried to jump up off the ground and you were an Olympian, you could probably get about five feet off the ground. It's pretty, I don't think I could get five feet off the ground, but that's as high as a human being has managed to jump, just kind of jumping. It's pretty impressive, but still. Um, if you were on a trampoline, you the highest anybody has gotten is 16 feet off the ground, which is still pretty high and kind of scares me a little bit. Yeah. However, do you have you ever seen those videos of mostly kids because they're a bit fearless? The kids that get on the trampoline and are in a circle on the trampoline, and there's somebody bouncing in the middle, yes. and they use the the science of potential energy to make somebody's personhood. And in in the workplace, it's your ideas go even higher. With a team of people, you can get up to 33 feet. It's the highest anybody's gone. And I sit here and I go, the difference between five, three feet and 33 feet is a synchronized team. Now you also, like the whole idea of doing this, because I did fall off a trampoline once as a kid and it's now terrifying. I'm like, sharks and trampolines, <laughs> not my bag, but it's a good analogy, right? I sit here and I go, if anybody on that team doesn't understand the cadence, doesn't understand their role, doesn't understand how to make the bounce happen in synchronicity, there will be broken bones, right? There yep. will be broken bones. And I have no doubt there's somebody who's like the ad tech person who's off the side going bounce, bounce and screaming in the background that's actually allowing people, like we, everybody has a different job 
um, including the person who gets, you know, 33 feet up into the air. And when I think of teamwork, you have to, like that person who's flying 33 feet in the air has to trust everybody else to do their job. Same thing at Star Trek. And I would argue for absolutely everybody listening, we've all been on a team where we're like, oh my God, I would work with you again in a second. A part of why you and I still get up to shenanigans is where I'm like, I know Rob's going to be fabulous. And you know, Joanna's going to be a little bit crazy. And the two of us are going to come together and make sparkles happen. It'll be fantastic. It's absolute trust. It's absolute trust. With a little bit of like, oh, we'll talk about ad tech in here somewhere. Um, and, And we like, we recognize that of each other. I think the first time we met. Yeah. I forget where where and nice we were, but the first time we were like, oh, I totally see you, and this will be super fun. <laughs> um, and that's the that's the dynamic that you want to create. So it's not just in the hiring process, which I think is fu- fundamentally flawed, but also in that team. And you think about the teams where you've gone, oh god, this is terrible. It's usually because one person isn't playing the balance Helping the way bouncing. they should. So. Thank you, because there was a, essentially, that was a very nice way to correct my statement about hiring people you want to work with, right? Because again, yeah. you could there's a version of Star Trek where it's just uh, Jim Kirk and his bros all going out of the planets hunting down the green girls, you know, and stuff like that. And and again, no one, no one not nearly as, yeah. as interesting. There was certainly some problematic stuff, I will give you that. 100%, yeah. right? So, um, but there is a part that like, if you think about the, the narratives within uh, Star Trek, some of the best episodes really got into putting people again spock into roles to be emotional like to put people in and so because this is how i've always thought about kind of the team right or the the approach right which is in some cases the best thing to do when you're thinking about changes in the technology or whatever is you hire a specialist and you work on making them more of a generalist over time you don't take them out of their comfort zone but you give them and you hire generalists around them and help them learn from the specialists, right? So it's like, to me, I always did do this thing of like a, you know, a chocolate chip cookie type of approach because yeah. that way when you're going like, oh my God, uh, we're suddenly going to be doing stuff on um, the metaverse. Suddenly the metaverse has got to be something. And I got to, you know, okay, well, do you take a generalist? You could make them into, put them in focus on that. You could hire a specialist, but then if they're out there just on their own, right? They're not bouncing in sync on the trampoline. So there's a piece of where I go with that of like going like how you hire for certain skill sets and try to to figure that out. And again, this is where if anyone knows of our dynamic, this is where Joanna now corrects me to some extent. She's usually very nice about it. This, I, I come back to, I correct everybody because the reality, this is complicated because we have no framework and we have no language. Yeah. Um, and my nudge back to you, it's not a correction. My nudge back to you is, um, you know, I've been exploring this space with thousands of people over years. And one of the exercises um, that we do with people is I say, you know, how do you describe yourself? How do you talk about yourself? And um we actually make people go out and ask other people what words they would use to describe them. Because I sit here and I go, if you have been like, if you have been buying and selling your time to people your entire life, then there are people out there who are already buying you just the way you are. And so like a product, let's go find out why people are buying you. It's very simple. And so you, the, 
and by the way, if you're listening, you should go do this. It's a fascinating exercise. You go out and you say, hey, Rob, um, I'm really curious. I'm doing an exercise around uh, how I am perceived. And this isn't a feedback session. What I want to know is if you were to describe me to somebody else, what four words would you use to describe me? And then you just let them give you four words. And they'll be fairly flippant and fast. And then if you're feeling super brave, because this one gets people a bit scared to ask, then you say, awesome, thank you. What one word that is positive would you use that doesn't describe me? This is why this is important. The first four words are going to be really what are people's kind of immediate reaction to you? They are often quite generic. Like you're really good at getting shit done. You're a really great communicator. You're really strategic, et cetera, et cetera. We've already established, I don't like any of those words. The one positive word that doesn't describe you actually gives you an enormous amount of truth. And I say this, so when I uh, did it for myself the first time, the most consistent word I got back about me that was a positive word that doesn't describe me was gentle. And I'll tell you, when I first heard it, I was like, what are you talking about? I'm totally gentle. I don't understand. And I got completely wound up and monkeyed up about it. And then I calmed down and I was like, oh, my God, you know, you're totally right. Because people do not come to me because they want to hug. They come to me because they're like, Joanna, will you give me a swift kick in the ass? And I'm like, bring it on. Yeah, right? that's awesome. Um, and it's actually meant that um, as I work with people, I, I actually go through a process where I'm like, do you understand what you are getting into? Because I am not like the others. This isn't a huggy thing. This is a I want to see some action thing. Um, and I say all of that because one um, words matter. And what we have learned by thousands of people doing this very simple exercise is everybody believes they are all of the positive words and nobody believes they are any of the negative words. And even when somebody says like, you saw my reaction to not being called that I am not gentle. I had, I, and I still get a bit monkeyed up about it. Right. <laughs> we all believe. And so in your example of generalist and expert, we all believe we're an expert. We all believe we're a generalist because we all believe we can be all the things. And so as you have that conversation, I come back to really tying it back into what is the problem that needs to be solved. And let me give you an example of how, how we think about it here around future language is I'm going to unpack strategic for just a second. So you need somebody who thinks strategically in the future. By the way, everybody thinks strategically. My dog thinks strategically sometimes. She understands how to push my buttons. Um, <laughs> but I sit here and I go, like, what's the problem that you need to solve strategically? Do you need to optimize a thing? Do you need the thing to work better? Do you need to transform a thing? Did it is? Do you have a thing that needs to be something completely different? Um, do you need to produce a thing? Like, are you actually creating something from nothing? Or do you need to investigate a thing because you don't actually know what the heck you need and you need somebody to do a deep vibe? So we, not surprisingly, call them optimizers, transformers, producers, and investigators. Um, looking, those are all different types of strategic thinkers. Here's the truth about, like, can I do, can you do all four of those things? Absolutely because we are smart people who will do what we need to do. What do I know about myself? Um, if you ask me to optimize a system, I will absolutely do it, but I get a little bit bored. Um, can I produce a system? Sure, 
but it scares the bejesus out of me um, because I haven't done it before and I like to to do other things. Can you ask me to investigate a system? Um, I would rather not because I have the attention span of a gnat and I like to make change happen really, really fast. Um, a really tactical example. I was asked once to interview to be the uh, ad tech VP for the IAB. And uh, one of my mentors was like, Joanna, they are all investigators. It's part of what makes the magic. And you will absolutely like, you will be miserable in there. Do not go before <laughs> person. I was like, God, oh, what really great advice, right? I am at my core, a transformer. Like if you were going to hire me to come into your team, it's because you're saying like, we've been doing a thing one way for a really long time and we need to be able to do it a different way. And I'm all like, oh, bring it on. Like there's nothing I love more than transforming to one to the other. And it's a different skill set. Like everything has changed, but it's a different skill set from somebody's optimizing a thing that exists, creating something from nothing or doing the deep dive research. Now, what I also know is once I have done the transformation, I need to be really comfortable to say, okay, transformation done. I need to hand over to my optimizer because they're better at that. Um, or if I, in the transformation process, go, oh, holy shit, there's a production part of this that needs to create something from nothing. I need to go find me a producer to help with this. Absolutely. But my clarity around where not only am I most effective and having the most fun, but I'm also optimizing out bored, scared, and stuck. Mm -hmm. Which you sit here and say, like, why do we all go, I don't want to be when I grow up and what does the future look like? Um, what again breaks breaks people's path forward, and it isn't a one-size-fits-all, is when you are bored, scared, and stuck. Now, I would argue that all of us should be skimming on scared. Like I sit here and I go, like, what is your fear profile? I live way out on the skinny branches. Mm -hmm. So my pro fear profile is super high. And I'm all like, ah, oh, I'm just gonna leave. I live between I'm doing my best work and absolutely terrified, which is why I balance between producer and transformer. Um, but for other people, it's something different. And that framework of language, and it's, there's strategic, there's how you communicate ideas, there's how you lead. There's all of the different frameworks of language that once you start to have that, you can actually say, okay, based on the problem that you want to solve in the future, actually, what kind of strategic thinking do you need? And then actually optimize for that. But it does mean there has to be awareness on both sides of the equation because you get get the wrong person and you can have a bit of a problem. Which I think... Um, as we as we kind of come up on time, and again, you know, I don't want to stop. Um, but but there's a part of, I think again, maybe maybe a lesson here. And again, nudge me in the right direction, right? But everyone, when they think about building up their personal brand or thinking about their sales funnel or whatever, are thinking of it yep. as just as if that they're it's just all on them. And one of the things you you hit on because I have to make a call out to a friend, um, Liz Moorhead, who. Uh, worked with uh, Melissa and I on the Beeler Tech brand. So she was, she, so she did a little interview and she had this thing of like, pick these words that describe you and whatever. And again, and, and again, I think a very useful exercise. But what was hilarious about it is that she's like, and all the time I've ever done this, I've never had actually told someone that they're wrong. But I'm going to tell you guys that you're wrong. And you can imagine that like, I was going like, well, I don't want to be considered whimsical or that. I want to be known for this. And she's like, what are you talking about? That's not, totally yeah, whimsical. Yeah, right. Like, that's exactly <laughs> like, like, you know, like, why are yeah. you not leading with your personality? And of course, 
when I'm sitting there in my head and I'm sitting there going to your point about like fears and stuff like that is I, you know, I want to be taken seriously. And yet my biggest defense mechanism is immediately try to make everyone in the room laugh. Right. So recognition, right. But with other people giving you that kind of input to, so in other words, I love your exercise because there's something of a, you know, you getting that and then being able to work on it with others. Cause that's, yeah. again, I'll say, you know, going circling this back to my son, he's trying to do a lot of it on his own. And I can understand that he doesn't want me to sit there and go get the job for him or he, you know, he wants to prove himself. So that's yeah. great. But I think what you learn over time is that you, you don't, you don't get extra points because you didn't use someone else's help in your life. I guess if you want to be Tony Robbins or you want to do whomever and you want to just sit there and go like, I did this all myself and no one, I give no credit to anyone else, you know, good luck. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to work with you. I wouldn't want to be stuck in space yeah. with you. I'd be with the people who are going around, you know, kind of sharing those particular pieces and, and helping me be better. Right. And I think that's an open conversation that maybe helped kind of redefine this. So, so off that, um, and again, I'll, I'll just throw this out there that obviously we're just about to, we've just been working on connecting our people in our mentor program and, um, and excited about kind of getting that with something else that we do, which is our kind of job seeker thing of, I prefer people not, again, send me your resume, send me that paragraph about what you want to do. Now, again, you're, you, you do this, all of it. You know, so there's a part yeah. of like you do it, you know, but there's a part of just even starting down that path about, again, talk about that future self that I think is, is exciting. So, um, yeah, any last, any last thoughts before? Yeah, well, I'll throw this out for, for followers of the world of uh, Mr. Beeler. I'm really glad, by the way, that your branding person told you that whimsical was an important <laughs> part of it. Um, it is, it is fundamentally why we all bought you and continue to buy you. Because that, that ability to combine a very technical, slightly dry, um, incredibly complicated and difficult and changing topic with something that is powered by hope and fun and community and generosity is where your magic circles intersect. And it always has been. Um, and this is, um, I say that with love and affection and all of this sort of thing. Um, for those people that are going through the mentor program, um, all of those, it's finding out what somebody else how somebody else describes you in a room that you're not in, that is the most powerful thing. Because my hope, Rob, is you actually feel pretty good about yourself right now, which means you are going to be more confident with the next person, which means you will show up better with the next conversation because you're all like, actually, yes, I am awesome. Thank you, right? Um, because you need to believe in the product of you first before you can get out there and do that. So um, as you are building trust and what have you with your mentors, like ask them how they would describe you. Like, where do they see your magic? And it doesn't even need to be your mentors. Go find people who have bought you in the past and ask them because it is, it both builds confidence in you and really helps you narrow down who it is you want to be. Um, and start to really, 
and a lot, lots of people are like, this is that whole nonsense about authenticity. Um, I'll also say this and throw it out. So if anybody listening to this is all like, hang on a second, what was that template that you were talking about around the job interview introduction thing? Um, I'm on Twitter at, at Joanna Bloor, and you can also find me on LinkedIn at Joanna Bloor. I try to own it all as much as I can. Um, just DM <laughs> me on either platform, and I will send you the link to the template because, uh, boy, I I really want the whole process to start shifting, and so you can you can use the template for yourself. See, and I and that's again, I think the the part why I think we immediately kind of connect, which is just this idea of you just helping put that out there. Right. Just to yeah. like, in other words, you're not going, the more people who do this, the more we start to, to break the machine. And again, yeah. like that should not be the way that hiring is done and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, I, I love that. I love that. Yeah. It's the, I'll, I'll leave you with this. We have all watched over the last couple of years, maybe a bit longer than that, but we've all watched the industries of healthcare and transportation and hotels and entertainment completely and utterly transform because of technology. And I look at the world of talent and people and the technology that is being built to help humans in the future is still being built off a limited database. The database that people are inventing over is just based on the past. And the reality is, is that we choose people based on their potential. And so if people are listening who are in the HR tech space and are really looking to change the world, I sit here and I go like the, the database needs to change. And anybody listening to this, like data, 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 we all talk about this in advertising. If your data is bad, you're going to make bad decisions. And I come back and I go, this is the industry that needs the same sort of transformation that has happened in all of those other industries. And I think we all win when we do. Joanna, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. And uh, thanks for spending some time with me and um, look forward to our next conversation. And um, yeah, I don't even know what to say. Like I'm, I'm, I'm oh, taking it, it all It was a in. delight yes. and any time. As always. Thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, again, um, please, you know, forward this on. I, the, I, what Joanna speaks this truth that I think we just have to get out there. So I think that this is going to be a great one to help help people make the case for for changing how they think about these things. So Joanna, thank you so much. And thanks everyone for uh, for listening in and really appreciate it.